Stevenson University Online is the leader in forensic education for law enforcement, legal, and cyber investigations. If you are preparing for career advancement or career change, investigate our online master's programs in forensic science, CSI, forensic accounting, forensic investigations, and cybersecurity and digital forensics. New online sessions start every eight weeks. No application fee or GRE required. Visit stevenson.edu slash online. Yeah, it's called Conversations with Jeff, not Screaming Matches. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really... Shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though, and so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth, and then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Want to let you guys know before we get started, uh, we actually have a book that just came out. It's called Church and State, How the Left Used the Church to Conquer America. Had a bunch of great contributing authors to that, including uh, Pastor Greg Locke, Denise McAllister, uh, Pastor Kim Peters, Bobby Lopez. Just a gr- bunch of great contributing authors really taking a look at how the left is infiltrated into the church for the sole purpose of destroying our country. So that's one one resource uh, that we have available for you guys over at gatekeepersonline.com slash store. Now, the other one, we, we're actually under pre-orders in the final stages of getting this one out, the, getting this book out. It's called uh, Five Steps to Kill a Nation and How to Stop the Bleeding by Pastor Sam Jones. And this is another book that we're publishing here with the gatekeepers, and it should be out here within the next couple of weeks. Definitely go pre-order that book. Uh, Pastor Sam takes a look at how just the simple fact that we've been disobeying and turning our back on the Ten Commandments and God's plan for our lives and for our country has led to the chaos and the anarchy and the craziness that we're seeing today. So definitely pre-order that book. Again, gatekeepersonline.com slash store. You guys can use the code Jeff at checkout for 10% off of anything over there. Um, so really excited about our guest today. We're bringing on Alan Atchison over from the Capstone Report. I've been reading your stuff here for a while, but glad we can finally sit down and chat here for a little bit. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and I think I think one of the interesting things about a lot of what you've been really reporting on has been a lot of these leaders, I think especially within the Southern Baptist Convention, but a lot of these leaders, they've really, it seems like they've been selling out for leftism, progressivism, socialism, Marxism, all the isms you can possibly think of. But it seems like, you know, these guys that are supposed to be our conservative leaders are selling out for the left. Like, what's going on? Well, it, there's been, a, I, I think, an effort to maintain power, maintain the base. Because Southern Baptist Convention has been in a, uh, a period of decline, probably for 25 years or so. And so starting in about 2010, uh, the consultants in there, the, Ed Stetzer, who's very woke, uh, began this process of changing the way the Southern Baptist Convention looked at racial issues, and they started to want to look at immigrant communities um, in these big cities, church plants, for a way to save the convention from decline. So they decided they had to appeal to these groups. So it led to, a, uh, I think, the uh, wokening of the convention in a lot of ways on social justice issues and certainly on immigration issues. So I think that we've got uh, a lot of trends going on, but ultimately numbers and money plays a big role in what what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention right now. Yeah, it, it seems like it's almost parallel with what we see in Washington, D.C. It's the same thing that's kind of happening with a lot of these leaders. Again, it, it always comes back to money, power, fame, status, you know, all those kinds of things. It's kind of sad that that's happening even within the church, but it seems like to a lot of people that are looking at this from the outside, we're, we're seeing what seems like a, a dramatic shift 
in a lot of these supposed conservative leaders within the SBC. But it's not it's not so sudden as of late. It, this has been kind of like building and building and building for for many years. It's not like this has just happened since since Trump came into office, right? Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead of career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. No matter if the economy is up or down, healthcare careers continue to grow, especially in management. Stevenson University Online's Master's in Healthcare Management can put your career on a new track, especially for career changers with previous business, HR, or technology backgrounds. Discover new opportunities with our Healthcare Management Master's. No GREs, no application fees, and 100% online. Visit online.stevenson.edu slash healthcare management. Yeah, and this is one of the big problems. I think people in the Southern Baptist Convention are unwilling to admit some of their heroes are, in fact, the proximate cause of our issues today. Uh, Al Mohler is the most powerful man in the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the president presumptive, since he's the only one so far announced that's going to stand for election in Nashville. He's the guy that's against critical race theory, he says, and yet he still has a bunch of people employed at his seminary who said, quote, unquote, I'm a racist, I'm a white supremacist, and will be until the day I die. That's his provost, by the way. He has other people there. He's fired the conservative people who signed uh, documents saying they're not for critical race theory. So there, there are serious issues here. And if you look at the entity leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention, almost all of them today have ties to Al Mohler, including lifelong Democrat Russell Moore of the ERLC. And I always remind people, if Al Mohler is such a conservative, why in 2016 did he come out and say, I know Russell Moore's heart and, in, in an effort to defend him so Russell Moore got to keep his job at ERLC? So if you're, you, you've got a problem, you need to look at the top, and the top in the SBC for the last decade or so is Al Mohler. Yeah, well, it, that's very true. I think it's it's also been crazy really seeing – how all of this has played out with the Russell Moores, with the Al Moores, but then also too, you've got you've got you've got the Beth Moores, and you know what was did we just see now that uh, it's it's official that like uh, Mark Dever and Tim Keller are, are like official they've been Democrats for for years. <laughs> I did see the reports on that that they're registered Democrat. I think Keller even admitted it on Twitter with the lame excuse that he uh, lives in New York City, so he has to vote for Democrats. But you know, I wasn't Rudy Giuliani and. Like uh, other people, Republican mayors elected in New York City not that long ago. So it's it's kind of a, a ridiculous argument. But I, I think that that's another very good point. And that's another group. If you you mentioned them, they all tie into the Gospel Coalition. Again, Al Mohler is tied into that group. So I, I think um, you can see the connections here of so much influence in the hands of so few people. And, and I, I think we've given these folks too much of the benefit of the doubt for too long. Yeah. Now, now, how, how do we deal with all this in, in relation to Trump f- from your perspective? Because I think over 2016, it's been kind of like, you know, you've got all these elites. They've, they've been kind of coming around and being critical of him and being critical of, of his supporters. But then now it seems like after after the election, they're coming out in droves, like going, you know, hardcore Trumpism is, is evil nationalism is white supremacist and racist and all this kind of stuff. And then you had, I think it was, was it Beth Moore that was literally saying that, that Trumpism is like the greatest threat to, to the church in our lifetime. Like it, this is craziness, but like what, what's with these guys where there's so much hatred for Trump and then also Christians that are supporting him. I think that you, you mentioned something there that, that distaste for nationalism, but uh, I wrote a couple of articles about this, and this has been a particular thing, particularly thing that annoys me. There are two types of government. There's either a global imperial system or nationalism. You can pick. They both have pros and cons. But na- nationalism, what we've functioned in since 1648, has tended to be a better system because it allows people to pick their own governments. We we agree. We all pretty much have universally said that every nation has the right to their own system, their own culture, their own whatever, without this imperial globalist uh, control from the outside. 
So when they're attacking nationalism, they're really attacking what is the best system of government that we've had in human history. Um, so I, I think it comes from a point of ignorance and also comes from this anti-colonialism stuff that we get from so many uh, of the elites that we have. The, the, the people in power in our seminaries and in our uh, churches today kind of reflect more of the, um, the academic folks in secular education than the people in the pews. And so I think that's one of the reasons we have a dis- disconnect. But I always warn people. This similar type of disconnect happened in the mainline denominations in the late 60s and early 70s. And yes, there were theological issues at play between the mainline decline, but secular researchers have done a lot of work in this area and have found it was the anti-Vietnam War, a message that came from the pulpits that sparked the mass exodus from the mainline denominations. I think these so-called conservative denominations and churches um, when when their message is sort of anti what the people in the pews believe, they're going to run people off and they need to reconsider whether what they're preaching is really the gospel or their political preferences. Yeah. And, and yeah. what's interesting, too, I think when, when we kind of compare between, you know, like nationalism versus globalism, for one, I always come back to have these people not read the book of Revelation? Like, like to me, that would be one of those things that you're studying in seminary. But then the other side of it is that there is still like the theological, spiritual aspect of nationalism and what that represents, because God always uses everything. It seems to point back to the gospel. And I think that nationalism is one of those aspects where, you know, when it comes to our faith, we don't have a quote unquote globalist faith in the sense that, you know, it's not every single person is getting into heaven. God is very particular about who gets into heaven, how they get into heaven, He's essentially, he has a border. You have to go through the gates in order to get into heaven. It's, it's, it's like this is a spiritual representation of what, of what our salvation is supposed to look like. And I think that when these, when the, when these pastors are pushing globalism, it's almost like they're pushing for this easy believism gospel that everybody gets in heaven and everybody gets a trophy. That's a very good analogy, and I think it is. There is a there is a salvific element that goes into what uh, the biblical story, because we know God created nation. We, we we see that at Babel, and then we're told by the apostle Paul that God ordains and uses the, and, and governs the extent of nations and sets their boundaries, their times. So to kind of be against the nation state in some ways is kind of rebelling against the created order of the era we are in right now. And as Christians, I think we want to help um, establish and fight for things that are good. And I, I think in general, despite flaws that come with every system of human endeavor, nationalism has been a net good uh, because it gives people more chance and more self-determination. If we go back to either the colonial era or even earlier, uh, there was a lot of fighting uh, over power and control. Uh, that still happens today, but I think Christians can bring, and it's the reason when pe- people will say Christian nationalism is bad, gives me a little bit of heartburn because I think Christian principles restrain the excesses of any system of government. So if you were going to call Christian nationalism or Christian imperialism, it's going to t- tone down the excesses. Our desire for conquest or self-aggrandizement is going to be limited because we're going to recognize other people have a right to their land and their territory and their way of life. Yeah. Well, and, and it seems like oftentimes what, what, the, what they're doing, what uh, these evangelical leaders and just the Democrat party in general, it seems like what they're doing is, is they're tying nationalism with, with racism. And, you know, yeah. every, every time you turn around now, what, what's, the, what's their argument um, in, in regards to that? Well, I, I think you hit on it right there. They, they want to default nationalism to ethno-nationalism to this thing that we saw with the rise of fascist Germany, where there is a, a heavy ethnic component in that. But if you look at Germany, I think Germany uh, in World War II far better fit an imperial ethnic state rather than a, a truly national state, because national states have tended to realize they have some limits. And if you go back in terms of European history, it doesn't mean that, for example, France, uh, after the, uh, uh, the revolution, tried to export revolution to other states. They wanted to send their uh, types of government overseas. They didn't necessarily want a large increase of, of, of territory. That, that came later with the rise of Napoleon imperialism. But uh, I, I think you've got, 
I think that they've oversimplified the problems with nationalism. They're, they're, you have to restrain any government's impulse to conquest. But the examples have been imperial states are far greater threats. And I, I think whether we, we want to talk about the Soviet Union or modern China, I think these are, these are greater threats than other states. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's very true. But, but I, I just, I feel like you've got these guys that they claim to be conservative. Clearly they're not. I mean, like you've even got, you know, Karen Swallow Pryor. And, and the one thing I'll say about Karen is that, you know, I've, I've interacted with her, you know, in, in, in uh, private messages and had good conversations. And even though we disagree with each other, like she's, she's been very civil with me. Right. But, you know, you know, at, at one point that didn't always hold true. But at, but at the same time, she's clearly saying I'm conservative yet pushing leftist principles and leftist talking points. And that you get the same thing with Russell Moore, even though he's pretty much a Democrat and a, and a full on lefty and very pro Obama, very anti Trump. So at a certain point, when can we insist that they stop referred, referring to themselves as conservatives? Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead of career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Well, this is one of the big problems about uh, our churches. There's no way to really enforce it. They're going to call themselves what they want to. We just have to do a good job of pointing out their inconsistencies. You know, um, they, they don't like to be called out on it because in general, that's why they have that 11th commandment in Southern Baptist circles. You know, as long as you don't say anything ill of, of, of them and what they're doing, they're fine with you. But as soon as you point out, well, that's sort of an inconsistent position. It's not necessarily what the Bible would say about justice. You're kind of promoting racial identity politics. You're dividing the church. Well, then they get upset about it. So I, I think the only thing we can do is just point out their, their lies, their faults. And there's an awful lot of lies that have been coming out in the last few years. I go back to Baptist Press. Um, it's very well established since the, the 2011, 2012, 2013, that George Soros funded the National Immigration Forum. And at the same time, the National Immigration Forum launched the Evangelical Immigration Table. Um, it's well established Baptist Press says that's not true. They, they basically lied about it, and they've still not retracted their article, even though the person they quoted in their essay de, uh, debunking the George Soros connection actually wrote a blog post for George Soros uh, explaining how they were going to use the evangelical immigration table. I mean, it's it, it just defies uh, anything. You can't hold these people accountable within the normal system. So I think that's why alternative media uh, has become so important what you're doing, what what we do, uh, because where else are people going to get the real facts? Like we had a story that no one else has touched about the um, serious problems at the North American Mission Board. Uh, uh, there's a full scale rebellion, 12 states, mostly Western states like the Northwest Baptist uh, Convention up in Oregon and, and Washington. Uh, they're just fed up with this stuff and the, the corrupt way that this, the North American Mission Board is managed in insulting way. So they, they, but no one else has reported it. Certainly not uh, Baptist Press. So I think that that we have a role and an obligation to help people see what's going on. 
Yeah. Now, now what, what, are the, what, are the, what are the other articles that, that you guys had posted? What was about actual funding from George Soros and, and, and some of these other guys into what was it the ERLC, if I remember correctly? There was a grant made uh, by uh, one Democrat billionaire to ERLC to, uh, to help with the MLK 50, which you remember that you've probably done some videos on that. It was highly objectionable racial identity politics uh, spread there. And then uh, so I think that link is very important because it's one of the few. They, there are not a lot of documents that show a money trail. That was one of them. And I, I'm glad we were able to uh, to bring that to the light today because people need to know there is outside money helping reshape the way Christians think about these political issues. Yeah, which which is interesting too, because because when you do have these ties to even like organizations like the Open Societies Foundation and, and people like that, and then you have a lot of these leaders are saying there, you know, all of you guys that are questioning the election. You guys are a bunch of conspiracy theorists. They're pushing the very talking points that the globalists are pushing. But then I thought one of the really interesting ties was that when you do have some of these ties between open societies and the SBC, whether directly or indirectly, they're pushing the narrative that's coming from the open societies. But then also, too, the new CEO of open societies, George Soros, announced was the former was the chairman of Smartmatic. I mean, it, it's if that's not like a direct, you know, talking point coming from from the top, I don't know what is. And but again, I'm just a conspiracy theorist. Well, that's been one of the things they've said all along. Anyone who questions these SBC insiders, you're a conspiracy theorist. Uh, but that, you know, five years ago, that was their talking point. Now it's they, they're finding new talking points because everyone knows what's happened. There's a general rebellion going on ever since, I guess, Birmingham at the annual meeting when they passed uh, resolution nine that embraced the use of the analytical tool of critical race theory. People have had enough, and they were they that was the tipping point when the people in the pews and people who were vaguely paying attention thought, "Wait a minute, racial identity politics is bad." And that was the moment that things began to click. So that conspiracy theorist stuff in our section doesn't work as much anymore. But yeah, in the in the mainstream media, they're going to call us conspiracy theorists as long I'm, as long as they can because it's all they've got. Yeah, no, that, that that's very true. And but the, but then the question that, that I keep coming back to, especially when we're dealing with some of these bigger organizations, whether was whether it's the Gospel Coalition or SBC, is 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 there a chance to actually turn things around within these organizations, or is it? We're almost having an evangelical civil war, and it's time to completely separate. I, I keep waffling and going back and forth on that one. And I think there's a good reason, because I don't think there's a clear answer yet. Uh, it may be too late to save the Southern Baptist Convention. The other side of that argument, there are a lot of resources. There's a lot of money and capital and things that have been accumulated that are that are really dedicated to, for God's glory, his use. So. What's the right stewardship call? It may be to go ahead and walk away. I, I've urged everybody who can to stick around through Nashville. If if you can def get conservative forces there, uh, and there will be conservative challengers to Al Mohler, and get that person elected, you've got a chance to change. Because once you erode that woke power base, I think things are going to come and change quickly. The whole thing comes down to whether they can get rid of Al Mohler's presidency, uh, it, because two years of him, now there'll be no place left for a conservative. Yeah, well, you know, the, the crazy thing to me about about this whole Al Mohler situation is, you know, because because I I grew up in like the John MacArthur crowd, right? And so like, you know, I used to go to Shepherd's Conference when I was in college, and you know, I was you know doing youth ministry and things like that. So I used to go there, and Al Mohler used to be one of my favorite speakers. I mean, like, you know, he's very articulate, very smart guy, and and at least back then, what are we talking, 10 years ago, something like that? Like he seemed, he's, he seemed at least from the pulpit to be quite conservative, very pro-America, very pro-Constitution, and then also pro-Bible. Now it's like he's done a, an about face. And then you're like, was he lying then or is he lying now? What, what is it? What is it with Al Mohler specifically? A lot of these other guys, I get it. They're compromised, whatever it is. Al Mohler seems to be, to me, to be that one thing where I'm like, what happened to him? That's a great question. I think I'll say from someone who was running a, a, a newspaper about 2002, 2003, uh, running his columns periodically because they were so good 
on contemporary political issues and on theological issues. So I, when I had the chance to run something, I thought I, I went right there and because they were great. Something has changed. And I think the issue is, if we really look at Al Mohler's personality, he's political. He's always been political. He's flip-flopped in terms of his stance on, I think, women in the ministry. I think there's a lot of documentation out there that uh, he flip-flopped on that. And he went with the way of the the conservative crowd because the conservative crowd was gaining power. Uh, I, I think if you look in, and you see Mueller as this person who is trying to find and increase his power base, I think that explains a lot of what the choices he's made, particularly in regards to there was a consensus among, among SBC insiders that the future was more toward the woke stuff. And that, like I said, I, I mentioned that earlier, that happened around 2010 uh, when they made that decision to go in that direction. And it's, it's you know, they, they, they talked about this stuff in public for a while. We've written some stories about it. There's a, a podcast out there on uh, some folks talking about this stuff. So I think if you view Mueller, who, who, who is a highly political person through that lens, then you'll understand a little bit more about the choices he's made. Yeah. Which, which again, kind of, kind of brings it back to the parallels between the swamp in DC and then the swamp within evangelicalism. It's all, it's all, it's almost identical with what's going on. Cause, cause like, for example, like, like one of the things when I was in DC the last time had, had lunch with, with a bunch of players and DC kind of stuff and the one that they kept saying when it comes to politics is that the reason why everybody hates trump in dc is because before him it was everyone's fighting so that they could go back raise money and campaign and say look how evil the other guy is they never actually wanted to fix anything whether it was immigration whatever it was because like with immigration as long as they as long as they were fighting about it they could keep raising money over it and then trump comes in he's like i'll build a wall that'll fix the problem and then it's, and then it takes away their, their resources. And I kind of feel like at the, at the same time, there is somewhat of a parallel here with what's going on within evangelicalism where you've got these guys that it seems like they'll go on either side. And a lot of it just comes down to opposing maybe somebody that's in power or opposing another viewpoint. So that way they can have their conferences, write their books, have their enemy. So that way, Hey, they've got more power. It seems like that's what's going on all the time within Christianity. And I feel like this isn't how the church is supposed to be. You, you said something there that I, I, I think you're right. I think a swampy feeling is how big evangelicalism feels right now. It's, it's got this um, tribalistic elements that's there, and it's by design. Either you're on their team or you're not. If you're not, they're going to exclude you from conferences, book deals. They're not going to invite you uh, to the, uh, to, to, on stage with them. But even if you are a little... Maybe unorthodox if you're, you know, say the right things and you you're on their team and you defend them on Twitter, then you'll get on stage at uh, one of Al Mohler's events. I, so, yeah, there, I like that analogy toward the swamp. And I think there's a lot of money at stake that has driven some of this stuff. Uh, you know, we we did a series of articles last year talking about lifestyles of the rich and radical where we, we looked at the properties that were owned by churches for some of these pastors. Uh, you know, uh, David Platt has, I think, a seven or $800,000 home in Vienna, Virginia, one of the most expensive zip codes in, in America. Um, when he was going out to the border during the border crisis one summer, um, someone, and I assume the, the evangelical group flying him out there, put him on a first class of an airplane. So, he flew first class from the D.C. area to San Diego area. That's not a cheap flight. And uh, so there is this element out there of people who are rewarded for saying the right things and believing the right things about these political issues. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I think a lot of people forget there's a lot of money involved in, in church, in, in, in Christianity. And I, and I, and I always say, and again, it gets me in trouble, but at a certain point, I don't, I don't really care, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where it it's an industry more than it is a ministry. Cause I mean, you, you see these pastors and a lot of times they're making a six figure salary from their churches. They're getting, you know, whether it's a house payment or different things paid for, they get on the conference circuit where they're, they're making, you know, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars just for a speech. You've got, you've got their book royalties, but then on top of that, you've got a lot of them have their own seminary. A lot of them have their own teaching ministry. It's like they're double, triple, quadruple dipping 
uh, on their work and they're making like six figure salaries all over the place. We got to remember there's a lot of money involved with this. Right. And, and they're, they're very opaque in the way that a lot of this stuff is done because a lot of these churches, they don't file, file the federal tax forms that most nonprofits are required to file. So a lot of it we don't know about. Um, this is a huge problem. I, I don't think it's an appropriate thing. I think if uh, you have a nonprofit that's grossing large amounts of money it, and you're going to pay large six-figure salaries, you probably do need to have these forms filed. I think it's the only uh, fair thing to do. Um, but, yeah, big salaries. Um, there's uh, the North American Mission Board. I've talked a little bit about that. They've reward, they, you know, they, they bought homes. Uh, well above the median uh, kind of price for homes in certain areas for people that are favored church planners. Um, there's uh, people will funnel uh, sometimes money through multiple things. Uh, one church will buy the teaching materials of someone else. It's there are a lot of examples of this, and it should worry us because you know the love of money. I think there's something in scripture about that, and. So there, there are these lifestyles of uh, the leaders, these evangelical elites that should concern us all. And I think go back to the story that broke um, uh, a year or two ago about Ed Stetzer getting the gift of a car uh, from James McDonald, the disgraced former megachurch pastor now. But back before he was disgraced, he gave him a, a Volkswagen, uh, I don't know, a, a classic car or something to fix up. While he was on the uh, like writing columns for Christianity Today, it's it's an insider's game, and there's a very low level of ethics amongst many of the players. Yeah. Now, 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 one of the questions that I always I always get from from just you know everyday everyday Christians, everyday Americans that are in, that are sitting in the sitting in the pews is like, what what can we do? Because because I feel like a lot of times when it comes to these issues, a lot of the pastors don't see it, and I, and I think and I think a lot of it is that. They're busy doing ministry, but then also too, a lot of the people that we're critiquing, it's the people that they're learning from at these pastors' conferences, and they're reading their books, and that's where they're getting their their so their kind of mentorship, I guess you could say. So it's really the lay people that I think are are seeing this and exposing this. So if if you get a random person sitting in their church and they're seeing, you know, the their pastor going along with with like Al Mohler and a lot of his teaching, or you know, promoting Beth Moore or any of these people. What are the everyday Christians supposed to do? Because a lot of them, they don't want to start a ruckus. They don't want to start craziness. They don't want to split the church. But at the same time, we got to do something. And that's going to be a good question that each person is going to answer a little bit differently. You may need to find a new church. You may need to stand up in your church. That's the great thing about being a Southern Baptist church. Most of the churches still provide an opportunity and a way for the members to stand up and push back on these things. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Uh, we, we're usually involved in the budget process and certainly in the selection of messengers and priorities for the 
a year. So I, I, I would say if you're so inclined, make a stand where you are. But if you don't want to cause that ruckus, then finding a new church, and there are a lot of conservative churches out there, um, it's hard to know. Um, you're, you just have to, when you're doing that church uh, hunt, that you ask the right questions. And those change and shift at times because at one point, say, uh, you may have a, a deeply theological issue that's at, at play. And then other times, uh, they may be able to finesse their way out of those types of questions. So um, I would say be very careful and know what you're looking for if you start looking for a new church. Yeah, and, and what what are the best ways that I, that I that I always tell people too when, when either you're looking for a church or you're trying to tell okay is my is my pastor woke is my you know is my pastor a problem is is a lot of times you're not going to necessarily get it explicitly in the sermons a lot of times you're not going to get it in the statement of faith again at last I checked Benny Hen's got a decent statement of faith on his website doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean doesn't mean that he's a good guy right but right. look look at what what pastors does your pastor quote in his sermons. Yeah. What what books does he read and what conferences does he go to? If you yeah. if you can figure out those three things specifically, that's all you need to know about your pastor because your pastor will be attracted to similar theology and ideology as what he has. So if you see, well, my pastor, he's going and he's learning from John Piper, Tim Keller, Al Mohler, you have a pretty a good idea of what your pastor believes. And maybe you've got some issues, some issues of, of concern there. That's a great point. And and before I, I, you could say, well, he graduated from this seminary, he'll be fine. But that's now a big issue because I, I've got some friends who graduated from Southeastern even recently. But that would be a big warning sign if, if there's someone coming from Southeastern or Southern now. How influenced are they by the professors that are there? So, But I do like that the, the people they quote, the books and the conferences, because that's a really good shorthand way of finding out. And you can ask questions. And usually people like to talk about the books they read. So that's a really good way of being non-controversial in terms of finding out what someone really believes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and, and then I think, and then I think moving forward, then, then the question is, you know, number one, we've got, we've got all this election fraud, you know, craziness mm-hmm. going on. And, and clearly the evangelical leaders don't really want to, to deal with this thing, except to tell conservatives to, you know, shut up and fall in line and things like that. But, th- but then moving forward, you know, wh- whether Trump gets in or Biden's in as president, what do you think is, is coming down the road, uh, even within the SBC? I mean, do you, do you, are you thinking that you're going to have an Al Mohler presidency within the SBC or are, is, do you think there's a good chance that, uh, we can make sure that we unseat him? Well, I think there's a good chance to defeat Al Mohler. That's the, the the story that nobody wants to really talk about. Mueller is immensely unpopular with rank and file Southern Baptist. He was nominated um, a decade or so ago and had to back out because he was going to lose. He had a health issue at the time, which I'm sure was real, but he was going to lose. Uh, he's not that popular amongst uh, many people. There's probably 30 to 40 percent of the people who will show up and vote against him just because they don't like him and his theology. So I think anyone who... Uh, who understands that needs to be able, if they can anchor that vote down, then then there's only a few convincing, a uh, few hundred delegates or uh, so that they have to really think about convincing. And, and I think that's eminently doable. The question is you have to be committed, you have to have the right resources. So Mueller beatable, but we also have to ask, are we going to even be able to meet in Nashville in June? Will, gov- will the government let us? Uh, will we still be, oh, well, there's another surge. We can't do anything. Um, you know, uh, I'm not so sure that what's going to happen because it's been to the interest of the status quo crowd to keep J.D. Greer in there. And Greer has uh, been the most woke president um, that the SBC's had. And I, 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 everything I've warned about prior to his election, it's been worse it's been worse than I would have forecast because it's just um, he has embraced everything that you, you that a liberal or a progressive might want him to do in the Southern Baptist Convention. So I think those are the challenges that you've got. Will we be able to meet and can the uh, say the conservative Baptist network or whoever is going to run a conservative candidate? Are they going to be willing to do enough to win? I think it's doable. You just, uh, they have to commit to doing it. And, and we have to galvanize people to show up. Um, 
if we if people are complacent and don't make the either the effort, the reservation, I mean Nashville's in a pretty good driving distance for most of Southern Baptist. You could get there and take a day, you know, take a take a night, stay overnight and come back and it won't break the bank. So we on the outside have to do our job of of galvanizing interest to show up. I mean, I've attended the last two um and uh it's 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 something that you need to go and be involved in if you want to try to change the direction of the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. And when, when is that again? It'll be in June in Nashville. I'm okay. not sure. On the, I don't have the dates right in front of me. I think it's uh, it's early June, though. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's going to be really interesting to see to see how that plays out, because because it, it, it seems like you have you have the more progressive leaders that are kind of, it's, and it's very, very strange. The progressive leaders seem kind of stuck in the middle. And then you have the extremists on the right, uh, on the conservative side that, that are like, no, we got to stick with the we got to stick with the Bible. You know, we're not going to buy into the, all this, you know, racial division and all this kind of stuff. And then you've got the guys like the Dwight McKissicks. And <laughs> I forget what the other the other pastor's name was that that just said that they're that they're leaving. Uh, the Southern Baptist con- uh, Convention, uh, specifically because of they're not they're not going woke enough, and so and so it it seems to me that there's almost this civil war going on within the SBC within the extremists, and then the progressives find themselves stuck in the middle. It's a, it's a very strange conundrum. Well, they they sort of want to be the moderates because I think that's part of the game they play. Because if you kind of come in the middle you can sort of have the conversation between the two sides and almost like uh, a Tony Blair come up with a third way political solution to the issue. I think that's the game Al Mohler is playing. He's sort of playing this kind of both ends and he's going to come up with this uh, solution to our problems. I think he's going to have a, uh, a they're going to have a meeting between various people that discuss the, the critical race theory things. I, I think it was at Charlie dates was the, the, the yeah. pastor you were talking about. I, I, I need to write about some of that because that that there was that statement on justice that came out from all these extremely liberal Southern Baptists, including McKissick, who I remind everyone, do you want to take theological advice from a guy who has bragged about voting for Hillary Clinton? I, I don't. And I, I think I would be very careful about uh, platforming him. So anything that he has signed is highly suspect to begin with. Yeah, yeah, and, and by the way, you know, Dwight McKissick, it's easy. He's one of those guys that you know. He and I have gotten into you know several Twitter debates, and and you know what was really interesting with him is that I've tried to get him on my show multiple times, and and he, every single time there's an excuse not to come on. But I'm like, dude, I just want to ask you questions. I want to know your thought. And I even I even had I had a debate set up between Dwight McKissick and Tom Littleton. And, and oh, then wow. at the last, and then at the last minute, McKissick backed out because he, he said that Tom Littleton was too racist. And I'm like, okay, this is, this, we gotta be able to discuss and debate these issues. And it seems like these guys refuse. They, they will find any opportunity that they can not to have the conversation. And for me, just like the name of the show, conversations with Jeff, I just want to have the conversation. I'll talk to anybody. I'll debate anybody. I'll discuss it with anybody. But it seems like for, for some reason, only the left refuses to talk. Well, and you've mentioned two people who've blocked me on Twitter, McKissick <laughs> and Karen Swall Pryor. And so I, I, don't, I, I've, I know I've had interactions, but I, I'm, I don't know what I got blocked for. I, probably an article or something. But I mean, they, they don't want the, the disinfecting sunlight of attention. That's the, that's the truth. They want their echo chamber because they don't want that conversation because it will expose them. Is there's no way you can defend voting for Hillary Clinton and be a pastor. Well, a church member. You shouldn't be sitting on a pew, much less in leadership somewhere. But he's being platformed by constantly by Southern Baptists over the last few years. And I, I think that there's this unwillingness to call people for what they are. And anyway, McKissick is, is a huge problem. And as long as his ilk are in the SBC, there's going to be a problem. There's no room for Hillary Clinton pro voters. I mean, that's voting for abortion. I don't care how you uh, try to justify it. Yeah, and, and you know, and that, that that's the really crazy thing about this is that you have these again. Suppose the people that call themselves conservative are justifying voting for Democrats when they're when the Democrat platform number one primarily, like you just mentioned, abortion. Like to me, that that's a non-starter. But then you start dealing with every single ideology that the Democrat platform is pushing. Is is the is the agenda of an anti God agenda, 
and it's pro-antichrist. Like if you're getting into eschatology end time stuff, every single thing that's on that Democrat platform is going to be something that the antichrist is going, is going to want to establish. I don't know how you justify that, but yet they do. And it's crazy that some of them even self-identify as Democrat. Yeah, it's it's I, I don't know how you do it. I mean, it's it is certainly an anti-Christian agenda. Uh, they want to attack religious liberty. They want more baby murder. I, I, there's just for me, that's the reason it's very simple. You can you can take these two issues. Religious liberty is a good thing. Abortion is a bad thing. So you have two moral issues here that are so important for an average Christian voter that you should even consider the Democratic Party. In fact, you should make it your duty to, uh, to, to fight the election of Democrats. And that means sometimes picking a lesser evil or, or the greater good, however you want to phrase it. So even if you didn't think Trump was great, you probably had a moral obligation and duty to vote for Trump to reduce the evil of the Democratic Party, because now we're going we're looking at it. If Biden does take, uh, is inaugurated in January, you know, you've got uh, his hands on the levers of power and it will be very bad for Christians and for uh, America in general. So, well, more, more, more scarily, we'll have Kamala Harris's hands on, on the power more, more scarily. <laughs> yes. that, that's that's the reality of it, because, I mean, you know, yeah. the thing about Joe Biden, he just he just shows up wherever he's told and reads script and. And, and 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 then on top of that, he tells us that, that they actually have the, the largest voting fraud operation in the history of America, which is probably the conversation that they just had in private. And they said, don't say this in public, Joe. Don't say this in public. And, and, and I tweeted that out and put it on Facebook. And I think t- maybe it got fact checked or something and said that's not what he meant. But it's right there on tape. He said it. He, it, it and I think he meant it. Um, clearly, I think. I think that's one of the things that that annoyed me early on in this process where Trump was talking about there's a lot of voter irregularities there there we need to investigate. Uh, the ERLC came out and said there's no evidence of that. Like, no, wait a minute. It may not be necessarily very good evidence, but we have affidavits, we have this, we have we have a lot of evidence. Now that has to be vetted and we go through, and before you can, you know, make the complete claim that what Trump is saying is true or false. You have to look at it. But there was evidence out there. They wrote that column like a couple of days after the election when they were just ignoring what was out there because they had a talking point, a narrative to establish. And so, yeah, those things like that bother me because you're right. Kamala Harris and all of this, it's very dangerous what the modern Democratic Party is for. And it it's going to be very difficult times moving ahead. And, you know, I, we, I don't live in Georgia, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm constantly making the pitch. If you're in Georgia, you got to vote. We, we've got to pick up those two Senate seats to slow down this bad stuff that's on our way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, even, and even, even specifically dealing with like the evidence argument, you know, one, one of the things that I keep saying is like, there is evidence. Now we could disagree on the conclusion that we draw from the evidence. But, you know, I, I've interviewed Rachel Alexander. I know Bobby's been, uh, Bobby Lopez has been interviewing her quite often. One of the, one of the things that she keeps saying as a former elections ter- attorney, she's like, the f- normally when we prosecute these kinds of, uh, you know, voter fraud kind of things, you get one or two affidavits and then you have to piece them together and see if they corroborate. She's like, we have a thousand. That's evidence. Now, again, you could disagree with what that's, what the conclusion is. But you can't see there's no evidence. And that's, for me, the biggest frustration is they're redefining everything. They're saying what they should be saying is it has not been proven that the election was stolen, not that there's no evidence. Right. And I, th- I think that's very good because you're right. There's so much there. There are a lot of affidavits. There's uh, there are these statistical things where we know people out of state have requested absentee ballots, I think, in Georgia and Nevada and in uh, both previously. And I think that uh, it's even been done uh, mentioned recently. So. Uh, for the ERLC and group to just dismiss out of hand that there's no evidence. Well, you know, it was two days after the election. The evidence hadn't even been submitted in court, but we were already getting it. Uh, They're just trying and have been trying for the last, I don't know, five, 10 years to prop up the Democratic Party and get more votes for Democrats amongst evangelicals. And that seems nutty uh, when you when you think about it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, okay, so, so in, in closing right here, and, in, in when we're dealing, we're dealing back with a lot of these evangelical elites and all that kind of stuff. What, what is it that you think that, that we can really be doing 
to uh, like, do we need to get involved with with, let's say, dealing with uh, activism, with getting getting the vote out when it comes to the SBC? Is it do we need to stop attending the conferences? Like, what do you think strategically we can be doing in order to maybe either take away some of their power or take away some of their ability to influence so many people? Well, I think one of the things that uh, people need to do is they need to to be involved on, on social media and reading the news sources, the alternative news sources, uh, stay informed. And then um, I, I've, I've told people that you, the Conservative Baptist Network seems to be a good thing to be involved with because it's the only group that thinks you can love America and still be a good Christian and they want to like stop the racial identity politics in the SBC. So I, I encourage people to get involved there because I, I feel like they provide the best uh, line of defense in terms of activism and, and stopping the, the problems we see in the Southern Baptist Convention. And hopefully they'll put together a plan and a package and uh, for Nashville. And I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to see some real conservative things. So Conservative Baptist Network is one way for folks to get involved. Yeah. So, okay. So, so let everybody know best way to follow you and keep up on, on your writing and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, CapstoneReport.com and on Twitter, CapstoneReport, uh, also on Facebook and uh, other channels you can find it too. So I appreciate the chance to be on and talk about this because it's, it's really important stuff that we're involved in right now. Yeah. And, and the thing is, the thing for me is like, we, like, I think, I think a lot of times as conservatives, it's really easy to, to we talk about it once and then we, then we move on. But I think, I think in reality, the only way we're actually going to change anything is to continue to hammer this kind of stuff home and not let them get by with, with just, just they just wait it out. The new, the new, you know, turns over. So I think that it's important that we keep hammering this home so uh, i really appreciate you taking the time to join me i really appreciate all, all of your work everybody make sure you guys follow over at capstonereport.com check out alan alan we'll definitely have you back on again sometime because uh, again stuff we really got to hammer home i really appreciate it thanks a lot of course thank you and everybody else make sure you guys are uh, subscribing to us over on apple Podcasts as well as over on youtube we're actually uh, just launched on rumble that way we're bypassing a lot of the censorship that's going on so thank you guys so much for tuning in and we shall catch you guys next time This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC.